This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a breathtaking and big picture life. Two quick things before we get to today's episode. First of all, you can still get the Cheat Day Blues Report at plantyourself.com slash cheat day. It goes back into the archives on January 1st, and it's a report on why cheat days don't work and what does work instead. Second thing, if you work in an organization where you're facing some degree of social pressure to eat poorly, if you're always going out for rich lunches or there's always donuts in the break room, and you really care for the people you work with and you can see them digging their own graves daily with their diets and lifestyle, and you've got some sway, and your company is self-insured in terms of health care, then I would love an introduction to whoever manages the benefits in your company or organization. Um, I put together a program with WellStart Health and with Josh Lajani. Josh and I provide the coaching and pedagogy, and WellStart Health provides the digital telemedicine platform, including nutritionist, dietitian, doctor visits, and a robust digital platform that you can access from computer, tablet, or smartphone. We don't do wellness. Wellness is a bar that's far too low, as you may know if you have experienced the benefits of a plant-based diet. We do disease reversal and prevention. And the reason we're looking for self-insured employers is that disease reversal and prevention is a great deal for them. Every dollar they don't spend on a prescription is a dollar that can be allocated straight to the bottom line or to other benefits. So I've got a really good team with me. We have a compelling story. And if you think that there's a chance that your organization might go for it, even for a small subset, 10, 20, 30 people, we'll run a pilot for you. And we put our money where our mouth is, and we take most of the financial risk for the success of the intervention at your organization. So you can reach out to me, hj at plantyourself.com. Dot com, and we can talk all about it. And now let's get to today's show, the last podcast for 2017. And it's with my friend, the plant-based cyclist, Ian Kramer. We spent a lovely couple of hours together on the Skype. Uh, he interviewed me for his podcast. I interviewed him for this one. And we geeked out about our journeys and podcasting and our gratitude for the trailblazers who introduced us to this plant-based lifestyle. So Ian's a certified athletic trainer at the University of Rochester. He's a competitive cyclist. He's a podcaster. And he's a freelance health and performance coach. We met this summer at Plantstock. And after the obligatory conversation about microphones and mixers and recording equipment, we decided that it would be great to get to know each other better um, via the podcast medium. Another thing that we have in common is that neither of us have this, a very dramatic before story. We were a little chubby. But the, our impetus to change wasn't so much our own personal misery, but just being exposed to the truth in a way that we simply couldn't deny it. In Ian's case, it was watching Forks Over Knives, which he got as a Christmas present from his brother. In, in the podcast, we say 2010, but I think it didn't come out till 2011. So it was probably December of 2011. But still, early enough that I, who was writing a book with Colin Campbell at the time, hadn't even heard of the movie. So Ian and his brother are clearly uh, early adopters here. Most of what we talked about was in our uh, common work as health coaches, 
helping people to change their eating habits, change their exercise habits. And Ian's got a lot of really useful insights. Uh, I found them useful personally. I am applying some of them professionally, and I think you will derive great benefit from them as well. Plus, Ian is a fun, happy, energetic sort of dude, and I think you'll just enjoy his, his energy and his outlook and his compassion. So without further ado, Ian Kramer, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Howard. I appreciate it. So I was looking at your story, and I'm happy and also sad that you don't have one of these, you know, tales of terrible health and turning it around with a plant-based diet. Right. Um, but I think that's probably most of us. So I'm, I'm just really curious. You know, you've grown up an athlete. You've always been in pretty good shape. You mentioned you put on a few pounds in college, like, like all of us. Um, what, what first drew you to changing the way you were eating and living if the way you had been eating and living before had basically been fine? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I think very simply what drew me to this lifestyle was the movie Forks Over Knives. I received the movie in, uh, for Christmas, it would have been 2010. So, so now we're, we're in January, 2011 and I had gotten around to watching it and it blew my mind. I, I, so I, I watched it twice in a row. And, uh, like you said, at the time I was getting into at this chapter in my life, I was in graduate school at Miami university in Oxford, Ohio. And at this point I was getting into competitive cycling and in high school I had been very athletic nine-letter varsity athlete, uh, looking at what true standard American is. I think I ate pretty healthy, pretty healthy, relatively healthy. So you're right. I really had no reason, no real overt reason to change my diet or lifestyle. I wasn't technically BMI scale. I was overweight a little bit by a few pounds. Uh, I, but I didn't have a chronic disease. I was you know, getting by just fine. But what struck me about that movie was uh, one of the athletes in there, Mac Danzig, the MMA fighter, um, although he's not necessarily an endurance athlete, if I said, you know what, if this guy is eating this way and if he claims to be a better athlete, I want to give it a try. I want to evaluate what I'm eating get rid of the stuff that this movie claims to get, you know, that says get rid of the stuff because it's not healthy and see if changing my diet, tweaking it just even more towards health will allow me to be a more competitive cyclist. So that's what I did. And, and in short, I mean, what were the health changes that I saw? I was recovering faster from my workouts. So I, I was fitting in six workouts a week where my competitors who weren't minding their nutrition could only fit in three or four or five workouts a week. I, um, I'd also a nice perk was I lost about uh, 12 to 15 pounds. I say to people, I'm 15 pounds lighter. Now I just turned 30 last week uh, at 30 than I was back in high school at age 17 as a nine letter varsity athlete. So there's, there's gotta be something to this lifestyle and changing my diet even to even healthier foods that is not only allowing me to be a lighter, more healthy weight, but is also allowing me to be a more competitive athlete. So 
Who gives forks over knives for Christmas in 2010? That is my younger brother. His name is Jesse. <laughs> He uh, he he lives. I'm grateful that he lives here in Rochester. And, and it's one of the reasons that my wife and I moved from we we lived on the southern tier of New York. And from there to Rochester was about a two hour drive. I'm, I'm glad that we moved up here to Rochester to be closer to him and closer to our families. But he got me the movie because he knew I was sort of into nutrition. And I'm really glad he did. Wow. I mean, it- I I don't know that I had even heard of it much then, and I was, you know, you, you, I, I was you, I was pen pals with T. Colin Campbell, and I think he might have mentioned it. And I said, <laughs> "Well, that's a silly name for a movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely changed my life for sure. So, what were you in grad school for at that point? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I earned a master's degree in kinesiology and health, and my my bachelor's degree is in athletic training. I'm a certified athletic trainer. I work for the University of Rochester. Uh, sports and spine orthopedic, uh, where basically half of my time is spent in the clinic treating patients, ACL ruptures and reconstructions and rotator cuffs and hip pain and ankle pain and knee pain. And then half, and then the other half of my time is spent out. I'm contracted to a local high school uh, and I do outreach athletic training services for their student athletes. So that's a bachelor's degree. Master's degree, kinesiology and health. I knew that I wanted to get a master's degree and more and more um, athletic trainers are getting master's these days, but I knew I didn't want to get it in specifically athletic training. I wanted to expand my boundaries a little bit. So um, I applied to a dozen or so grad schools and decided, and I think Miami was the only one that... um, both accepted me and gave me a graduate assistantship so that I could essentially go to school for free. And they actually paid me to go to school. They gave me a little stipend. But um, I would say, yeah, it was it was kinesiology and health certainly broadened my horizons. It gave me more of a breadth of knowledge versus a depth of knowledge in, in undergrad. And so when you encountered forks over knives was there anything in your uh in your education that said that nutrition was important for health for kinesiology for joints for for anything like that or was this like this total add-on yeah i I would say it definitely could be considered more or shades to the side of total add-on to what I had previously known. Now, had I taken some nutrition courses in undergrad? Yes. Uh, I can't say that I actually had a nutrition course in grad school, but to be honest, 100 and 200 level nutrition courses are just, they just glance the surface of nutrition science and, and, uh, you know, certainly if you were to ask me that question and if I was a registered dietitian, I would say, of course, you know, this, this movie flew in the face of what I had learned, but I would say maybe I could see it, look at it as a blessing in disguise that it didn't necessarily fly in the face of what I was taught. It more of flew in the face of what I had learned just being a citizen and learning that, uh, seeing media and content and, and marketing of you need to drink three servings of milk a day, or 
you need to eat chicken to get the necessary amounts of protein you need. That's what it more flew in the face of. And But I've always been, like we spoke about in our conversation uh, last hour, I've always been one to march to the beat of my own drum and not care about what other people think I should be doing uh, and not sort of conform to what people or society wants me to conform to. So I was I wanted to try out this lifestyle, see if it worked, and if it did, I was going to run with it. So you said at the same time you were in grad school, you were uh, a competitive, you're becoming a competitive cyclist. So were you on a team or just on your own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons why I took it up in grad school was because Miami University did have an active club team. It wasn't necessarily a scholastic Division One sport, but it was a serious club team and joined, rode, Again, like the whole, uh, we spoke about Ultimate Frisbee before in undergrad, loved it, got really serious, devoted, put a lot of eggs in that basket, and um, yeah, got really into it, trained competitively, raced competitively, and uh, and basically the, the rest is history. So what I'm curious about, though, is if you're, if you're joining a competitive cycling club and you said you're basically 12 to 15 pounds overweight... That's, it seems like, you know, for a runner, 12 to 15 pounds overweight is like a, a minute a mile, a minute and a half per mile slower than you could be. Were, were there guys on the team or coaches saying, you know, dude, you got to go paleo? Like, it seems like they would, like cyclists tend to have a, a pretty meat heavy protocol. Right. Did you, did you come up against that? Well, uh, not necessarily. I think. I guess we were serious, but I don't think we were that serious to, you know, whereas coaches or even the team captains were offering strict nutritional advice and you need to do this to, to, to drop this last five or 10 pounds. But I think people at that time started to know me as the person on the team who knew the most about nutrition and being a competitive cyclist, being a more competitive cyclist. Uh, so it was never emphasized to eat more meat, certainly. Um, and I would say, I would even say that the, the, the general consensus among cyclists, I would say nationwide or worldwide, is that it's, it's certainly a more carbohydrate-heavy uh, diet to uh, power you through these three or four or five or six hour road races. Um, but definitely I would say that on the other side of the spectrum, it was never encouraged to give up meat or give up dairy completely. So that, that, that aspect I think was or is still foreign to the realm of athletics. So in your, in your professional practice now at the university and with the, with the high school, does nutrition come into it, into what you, what you share and teach, or do you have to kind of keep that to yourself? I, well, I don't need to keep it to myself. So nutrition is within the scope of practice of athletic trainers. We are, if we feel that this particular patient or this particular athlete would benefit from nutritional interventions, 
we can do that. Now, when it comes to, you know, cancer patients and patients who are very ill in the hospital, obviously that's beyond our scope. But if it's within a realm of athletic training, we can speak to them. We, it's within our scope. So whenever an athlete comes in to the athletic training room, let's say high school athlete, they are, you know, between the ages of 14 and 18, they're probably eating crap. We can say very, it's highly likely that they're not eating well. And if they come in and they say to me, I have an overuse injury, I have Achilles tendonitis, I have patellar tendonitis, or I'm just, I'm always sore, I'm always tired, that's, that is my door, that's my window to now I can intervene and say, you know what would probably help you or might be a solution is diet and lifestyle. What do you, and then I, I delve into it more, what are you eating? Uh, and ask them various questions. But ultimately what it boils down to is I rather, rather than saying, don't eat this, don't eat that. I emphasize eat this, eat that. Whereas I, I say very simply eat more fruits and vegetables, more colorful fruits and vegetables, no matter what they are, are going to help you as an athlete. They're going to help you recover. They're going to help you, um, perform better in your respective events. And, and really the same thing goes for my time within the clinic treating patients that it doesn't come up as often, but there are certain patients who I know, uh, who, uh, you know, let's be real here, Howard, low back pain, knee pain, hip pain. If you are 50, 75, hundred pounds overweight, it's most likely that the reason your low back hurts is because you're 100 pounds overweight. So we need to have that honest conversation as, as educators and as healthcare practitioners and say, we can help you out as best we can with exercises, with stretches, with maybe gentle manipulations. But what's really ultimately going to help you and your low back pain is losing this weight. And, and that can be our in as athletic trainers or physical therapists to educate them on proper nutrition. So you, you've talked to a lot of doctors for your podcast. Do you have a sense of how people respond differently to you as an athletic trainer, giving them sort of guidance and advice versus the way they would listen to a doctor saying the same thing? Well, I think one advantage that I have over doctors is I usually have the patient in front of me for 45 minutes to an hour doing various stretches and strengthening exercises to help with rotator cuff impingement and this and that. So I have more time with them. Uh, and I think that largely these patients are very receptive to what I tell them. However, I think most patients come into our clinic with a musculoskeletal disorder with a prescription from their doctor, they come in with the expectation of all we're going to do is stretching and strengthening. In other words, there's nothing else that I want to do or that will help me besides doing a bicep curl and stretching out this muscle and that muscle. So I think to some, it's surprising that I would bring something like that up to others. Let's say, I'm sure there are others who say, who 
my information goes in one year, one ear and out the other, like they don't care. So I would say it's a mixed bag there, you know, and you gotta, you have to develop a, the other thing you have to develop a relationship with these people before you jump right in and say, this nutrition will help you maybe give it a couple visits. Uh, if they're seeing results with the home exercise program that you've given them after a couple visits, you can say, listen, I really think we should talk about another way that would help your low back pain that would help your hip pain. And I think that re that way of helping is we got to We got to help you lose weight. I'd, I'd be glad to help you. It's it's nutrition and it's 80 percent nutrition, 20 percent exercise. And just that's that's your way in to, again, further helping them to alleviate this musculoskeletal ailment. That, that must um, sort of make a lot of people relieved or happy when you say the 80-20 breakdown because I'm imagining a lot of people are saying to themselves, well, obviously I can't lose the weight because of my injury and I can't fix my injury because of the weight and it seems like I'm stuck. Yes. Well, that's, uh, that is one of the most common themes or mistakes that I see people making now, and when I say people as not only patients, but I'm a member, a, a, I, I say that I'm watching from the sidelines on many Facebook groups, whether they be plant-based or paleo or ketogenic. I'm not a troll. I'm just watching from the sidelines and seeing what people are saying. And one of the most common things I see people doing wrong is they are overemphasizing exercise versus diet versus food. So the way I explain it to people, Howard, is you take weight loss as a pie chart. And this is evidence-based. This is not coming from me. This is not opinion. Evidence-based. The research and the literature shows that 80% of that pie chart of weight loss is diet. And 20% roughly is exercise. So is exercise important? Yes. But is diet more important than exercise? Yes. So if we want to lose weight, we need to mind our nutrition and put more metaphorical eggs in that basket of nutrition and food rather than exercise. Because people are over-exercising themselves. And, and just, uh, you know, a good example is, I think it's my episode 12 with Sarah Goodenough. She, she said it very succinctly. She said, I exercised like a mad woman for a year and she was 150, 120 pounds overweight. I exercised my heart out for a year, didn't lose a pound. The next year I didn't exercise at all, changed my diet and I lost 120 pounds easy. So that's the power of food over exercise. Do you have um, research studies or, or something that you can, you, you point people to, or you could, uh, you know, send me to share in the show notes that kind of succinctly um, defend that point that it's you know, this 80 percent diet. Like, where where does that where does that come from? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know, and and I guess uh, I don't know exactly what research study that came from. I'll do my best to look through and see if I can pull from a from a book of where that uh, that citation came from. Now. One thing that I, I am nervous, that makes me nervous, 
is people, when I do my presentations at libraries, they say, the, if they were to say, well, Ian, what about this study? Or, or can you name me a study that, tell, that backs up what you're suggesting? And my response to that is, I am not big on memorizing authors, memorizing titles, memorizing journals. What I can do, though, is I can provide the user or the, the person who asks the question with links to my podcasts with doctors in them or simply refer them to the dozens of books that I've read over the last seven years written by these doctors and scholars of lifestyle medicine. And hopefully that will open the door and give the person more information. So I'll, I'll work on that for you, Howard. Okay, thanks. You know, one, of, one of the reasons I ask is that every couple of weeks or so, I'll see some ridiculous article in the New York Times about weight loss or diet or exercise. And, you know, I just, I just shake my head at, you know, just at the, the ridiculousness of the assumptions that are going to the article before they begin to do any bit of research. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always, I'm always looking for kind of a, a ground zero where, where we can agree, you know, just like this, uh, this idea that, um, you know, the inability to lose weight is hereditary. So therefore, obesity is genetic. Right. Like, you know, think about that for four seconds from a historical perspective, and you realize how insane that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so when, when, you, when you share this stuff with people, and they, and they take it on, and they believe it, what, uh, what, do they, what else do they need from you in order to implement, in order to actually make it happen? Well, uh, I would say, what else do they need from me in order to implement it? I'm continuously trying to add resources or what I, what I call tools to my website and refer them to that website uh, for, to help them get healthier. One of the sections I just added recently was a books section where a listing of my favorite books that I've read having to do with chronic disease reversal and so, and another section of, of cookbooks that were actually contributed by uh, people on my plant-based cyclist Facebook page. The other uh, resource that I love, love turning people onto is nutritionfacts.org. And it's Dr. Greger, Dr. Michael Greger's website, and also his book of How Not to Die. I think that is that is my number one go-to resource. Where if in a library, a public library, and I'm presenting, and someone last night she asked a question about uh, uh, Crohn's disease. Now I'm not an expert on Crohn's disease. I know that it's largely it. it there are certainly studies out there that say it's largely uh, diet related. And it can be mitigated. Some of the symptoms can be mitigated with diet and lifestyle. But I, I don't know verbatim the answers to her question. So what I said is go to nutritionfacts.org, type in celiacs, type in uh, uh, Crohn's disease, and see what comes up. So the, the third thing that comes to mind is I feel like people just need me to metaphorically and this is going to sound bad, just to metaphorically 
push them off the, the diving board into the deep end and say, what's the alternative? The alternative is going back to what you were eating before, what's known in the research and the literature to be unhealthy, uh, and keep living your life that way. Uh, so with that, I guess I say passively, you can listen to podcasts like Plant Yourself Podcast, like the Ian Kramer Podcast, where you can learn about these health topics very passively. And if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. And I start my presentations out that way. What I'm here to do is I'm here to deliver the research and for you to make up your own mind on what you want to do. Everyone has to be in the, in the right place in the right time in their life to change anything, including diet and lifestyle. So whether it's they hear my presentation and they change the next day, great. If they hear my presentation and they think about it for a year and then they start implementing changes, great. So any way you cut the cake at any time, making uh, healthy steps, uh, taking healthy steps in the right direction is better than not doing that. So um, we, we talked earlier about, you know, your, your basic take on education and advocacy. And you mentioned two things. You mentioned simplicity and sharing the big picture. So what, what, what does that look like and why are those important? So simplicity I feel like people make this lifestyle harder than it has to be. Is nutrition science complex? Absolutely. But is the way humans should be eating complex? Not really, if you boil it down. And that's, that's sort of my job, is I boil things down into the bare bones. What do people need to know to get healthier? So simplicity. I try to make things very binary. And in my, for example, presentations, I give a, an analogy of a light switch. It's either on or off. It's either, what I say to people is, when you're going through the grocery store and you pick up an item off the shelf, ask yourself, is this going to nourish my body or flip the switch up to the on position? Or is it going to malnourish my body and, and turn the switch off? So I think I really feel that foods can be lumped into those categories. Now, is, is there some gray? Yes, there is. But lar in large part, I want people to understand that these groups, these foods are green light. Eat as many of them as possible. And that these foods are red light or try to actively reduce the amount that you're eating of these foods to be the healthiest you can be. So that's the simplicity part. And, and really all the, you know, the not nonsense, just the, the, the thought process of people worrying about deficiencies and, um, can I eat four bananas instead of three bananas? Like that kind of stuff where I just try to make it very simple. Eat when you're hungry. Stop when you're full. If it's a whole plant food, eat it. If it's an animal product or refined sugars, carbohydrates, oils, don't. So those are the, the three kind of simple rules. And a big picture is I guess I try to zoom way out and tell people about what we spoke about before with the blue zones and Dan Butner and talking about 
the longest lived people on the planet, the healthiest people on the planet. Let's study them. Let's find out what their diet and lifestyle is like that's leading to longevity. Let's look at uh, the other great example is I give is uh, disease reversal. People don't have never heard of the fact that heart disease can be reversed. So I try to give them resources of Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Ornish. Um, and, and if once they hear that late stage heart disease can be reversed, I sort of, I think that's when the wheels start turning. And that's when I think people start to realize that this lifestyle should be the default of, of what doctors and practitioners and what they should be, should be practicing and what they should be eating every day. So I love the idea of simplicity, um, especially because I think a lot of us in the plant-based community, we, we want to make people feel okay. And so we reinforce the idea, well, this is a really hard thing you're doing. You know, you've got, you know, because when they'll screw up, right? And they'll come back to us, well, this is really hard. We have to change, you know, and then you know, after, after anyone reads uh, The Pleasure Trap, we like spend three weeks depressed that, you know, that we'll never overcome these urges and that this is a really, really hard thing. And then you hear a lot of people who talk about their own journeys through food addiction. And it just seems like there's this, you know, dragon that we're going to constantly have to slay day after day. And I think that's true for some people. And I also think that by generalizing, by constantly reinforcing the idea that it's hard, is that we're making it easy for people to make it hard. Right. And, and to fail. So I, I love where you're coming from around, this is not very hard. And I'm, cu- I'm curious how you help them. So like the simplicity around what to eat, green light, red light. Yep. Do you offer them simplicity around the transition itself, around habit and behavior change? Well, one thing that I, and from a point you just brought up, another thing I emphasize to people is this, you're going to make mistakes. You have to go into this with the expectation of making mistakes. So, and I feel that is another way to have, to help people make the transition. So other ways that other tips to help people make the transition is there's two ways you can do this, uh, this lifestyle is number one is you can transition to it slowly. You can learn a few recipes, get used to them, uh, and slowly wean yourself off of the foods that are uh, discouraged in this lifestyle. Do it slowly, essentially. Get used to things as time goes on, which is fine. The other way you can do it, and I and I feel like this really pertains to people in large part who have a chronic disease or who have been given a pretty bad diagnosis, and that essentially they already have a disease is those are the people who I find jump, dive in. They, they, um, maybe they've already had a heart attack and their doctor says, you better change something. That's when they go cold turkey, throw out everything in their pantry, everything in their refrigerator that is, is discouraged and buy everything new that's encouraged, buy a couple cookbooks and learn and make mistakes that way. So let's start with, let's just go with the, the gradual, the gradual change. Number one is I say, take the dishes that right, that you love right now and try to modify them into more plant-based versions. 
try eliminating or reducing the foods that are discouraged in your favorite dishes and simply replacing those with plant-based options, even if it is a fake turkey or, or a fake uh, meat or a fake cheese. I think those are great transition few foods. And along the way, you can slowly make your way from on a scale of zero to 100. It's, this is another way of me simplifying things and bringing it big picture is zero to 100, zero unhealthiest of the unhealthy standard American diet, 100 healthiest of the healthy. If people are starting down in the 5, 10, 15 range, just know that any change you're making any of diet lifestyle, you are slowly making your way to the other end of the, of the scale of the spectrum. So just know that it's a, it's a journey. You're going to make mistakes and really the, the health journey never ends and getting to 100 might be a little lofty, but you can get to 80, you can get to 85, you can get to 90. And, and if that prevents a heart attack or if that prevents obesity or diabetes or any chronic disease that runs in your family, isn't that worth it? I hope, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. Do you, do you find it's easier for people to do the, the slow transition or the fast thing, like assuming sufficient motivation? Um, which, which, cause I know there's, you know, there's psychological reasons to go slowly, but there's also, there's some, maybe some biological reasons to, to just, you know, cut out the, the hyper palatable stuff that's continually hijacking your taste buds. Right. I agree. I, I totally agree with that. And I think best case scenario is we would absolutely have people go cold Turkey, because, because I think the other, re the other way to look at this is you see the most, the most results in the shortest period of time going cold Turkey. So I, I get that. And, and the whole pleasure trap with, you know, Alan Goldhammer and Doug Lyle, I read that and I, I completely agree with that too. So I think the argument, here's what I say is the argument can be made that going cold Turkey is probably going to, it's going to hurt at first in the first couple of weeks but then, like you said, those hyper palatable foods are going to be off of your plate. Your taste buds aren't going to get, aren't going to want or crave the really salty, sugary, fatty foods anymore. And you're going to get more used to, and you're going to start enjoying the whole plant foods, um, more and more. But I feel like that's a really tough sell. And I feel that some people, uh, who buy into this, uh, would rather go into it slowly and uh, start to learn and incorporate more dishes into their diet that are whole foods plant-based while still weaning themselves off what they were eating before. So I think it, it definitely goes both ways. Gotcha. So in addition to your, uh, your, your official day jobs, you do uh, private health coaching, right? Or, like, what, do. What, what, do you, what do you offer that people who are listening to this podcast might be interested in? I do. So my role as a health coach, as a plant-based nutri you know, nutritionist and health coach is basically I, I take on clients 
whether it's through Skype, snail mail, email, phone, any way that works for them. And I use my experience in the last seven and a half going on eight years of learning as much as I can about whole foods, plant-based nutrition and being a, a, um, curator almost of, of this information and saying, here's what the research says. Here's how you can transition, um, and just being a resource for them. So, um, yeah, I mean, and that, that's essentially, it's, it's that simple. Now, if anything, if any, I, I, again, I try to make things, um, I'm not claiming to be a doctor and I try to certainly emphasize that these people need to, if they do have medications, if they do have chronic diseases, they need to also work very closely with their doctor, but I am, I'm a resource to try to help them regain their health. Gotcha. So you have a podcast. Yes. Arguably you have a better microphone than I do. <laughs> um, it's always nice having it's always nice interviewing a fellow podcaster because then you know the audio coming back to your end Howard is crystal clear, right? Hopefully. I mean, I live in North Carolina, so uh, you know, I th- I think I think our our internet goes through snail mail. Yeah, I hear you. We we've, we've had we had a few little glitches because we're also choosing to do this via video, so uh, Right. Um Yeah, but I'm I'm curious. I'm always curious about podcasters who cuz I, I don't know very many podcasters who started their podcast having any idea why they were starting their podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, you know, yours is, I think you're done like episode 27 or right. so. Right. So, you know, you started it within, within recent memory. Yep. Yes. Yep. What, what were you, what was your intention? What were you thinking you were going to do? And, you know, you seem to, you focus on sort of medical folks mostly and researchers. Right. And was, you know, what was, what was your thinking behind all that? Well, so, Back in late 2016, I had started two series on YouTube. I thought, and to this day, I still think that video is great. Video is sort of the way of the future, but podcasting is also a great way of getting information out there. I was doing these series on YouTube. One was called Health Rebels, where I interview people like we spoke about before, like Josh Lajani, like Tim Kaufman, who were previously unhealthy took their health into their own hands, changed their diet and lifestyle, became healthier. The second series was called Prescribe Plants. And that was where I had hoped to interview doctors and scholars who prescribe this every day to their patients. After a half dozen of those movies, I got a suggestion, several suggestions of, you know, of the same thread from people who watch them on YouTube or on, really, it's on my um, Facebook. They say, Ian, these are great, but I just don't have time to sit down in front of a TV or in front of a computer for 45 minutes and watch a movie of this doctor you interviewed. Would you consider making them into podcasts? That way I can take it with me when I go for a walk in the park, when I'm exercising at the gym, I can listen and still absorb the information but not have to watch it. And at first, I was very reluctant. I, I was kind of grumbling to myself, and I said, eh, I don't really want to learn this new platform I was getting used to and kind of getting into the rhythm of editing and, and this and that. So I slept on it for a week, and I thought about it. And then after a week, I thought, I came to the conclusion that this is the best thing ever because for several reasons. Number one, people can still get the same information 
via podcasting that they can in a video. Number two, it, w- it was less work for me. I didn't have to patch together and, and post, e- edit a video that I shoot on Skype and then I had another video camera that I was shooting on to kind of add a different frame. It was a lot of work. Number three, it took up a lot of hard drive space. So with those three, I, I decided to look into how do you make a podcast. And uh, by the, I, I say that the birth of the podcast was January of 2017 to kind of make it easy. I had about, like I said, maybe five or six episodes that I had made in 2016 that I that I had published um, in early 2017, but uh, yeah, I mean, so it's every other week, every other Saturday, I publish a new episode with a doctor or scholar of lifestyle medicine. That's the simple um, way of describing what the Ian Kramer podcast is all about. I feel that for me personally, I find the most enjoyment learning from these experts like PhD Howard Jacobson. And I feel that people find them very beneficial. I think it's one thing to hear a, a, uh, success story from, from, a Josh Lajani. I think it's another thing and it appeals to a different audience to curate a podcast with all doctors and scholars of all people who are putting the science into practice every day and trying to spread the message that way. So what, what are the main things you've, uh, you've learned or discovered or changed or, you know, insights or, or benefits to yourself from doing the podcast? Cause I, I know for me, I can't imagine anyone out there in the world benefiting from my podcast as much as I do. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, you know, it certainly, I'm going to be a little selfish and kind of reiterate what you just said is that you, you, you can't get into these ventures and not enjoy what you're doing. So I really enjoy speaking to people who know more than I do about how the body works, about how this lifestyle works. So a, a big part of it is enjoyment of learning for, for, for me, for selfish reasons. Uh, but one of the, some of the things that I've learned that I've really taken away from these episodes is not necessarily the what foods to eat and what foods not to eat, or even so much as the learning about diseases and how they are, are affected by, by foods and, and lifestyles. I would say it's more of the, the sociologic uh, aspects. And I'll give you an example. Um, I interviewed Brenda Davis, I think on episode 25, she's a registered dietitian living in Canada. And she just went on a trip recently with Dr. Michael Greger. She's, she's a a go-to registered dietitian in this movement. And she said something that's, that resonated with me. I asked her a question about how do you get family on board with this lifestyle. If, if you're the mom or the dad uh, and you're passionate, how do you get the rest of your family on board? And she said, I think you shouldn't concentrate efforts on getting them on board, getting your family on board. I think you should concentrate your efforts on loving them and you yourself being a beacon of health 
and showing your family passively that I feel great, I love the food that I'm eating, I'm energetic, perhaps I'm, I'm losing weight, I am off some prescription medications. If you show your family that and not force them into changing, then that will lead to long-term uh, changes rather than forcing them to do it and having them choke down this food that maybe to them doesn't taste very good and then them being scarred for life and never wanting to come back and, and keep eating this way because you force them. So like, like I said, that's one of the, the things that I keep in mind and that I learn from my speakers is more of the interactions and, and how to kind of get through to people. So I'm, I'm curious, one, one thing that's happened to me over doing the, the podcast for a while, I'm curious if it's happening to you too, is, you know, there's a certain point, like we, we talked about wheat belly earlier and like, you know, all the paleo people and all the, all the sort of alternative interpretations of the science. And you can look at it and go, well, that kind of makes sense too. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to delve into it that deeply. But having interviewed all these different people, I now have no patience for like when someone comes and says, what about this? I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'm just, you know, it's, it's like, like people are running around me, you know, telling me that uh, the sky is orange. I'm like, just shut up. Like, go away. This, like, I've, I've just become so incurious about the, because I'm just, I'm just so confident. I see it again and again and again. It's kind of like, that's kind of the feeling I want to give my listeners. It's just like, this is so solid. We can stop worrying. We can stop having these debates. We can stop falling for this garbage on our Facebook feeds. Um, and I'm wondering how, you know, you've done 27 of these interviews with, um, or pro probably more if you haven't published some yet, but like what it's done for you just as a knower of facts. Well, that's a good question. And I think I am certainly even more steadfast in my previous beliefs. I mean, certainly... I got into this podcast because I knew this was a message that I wanted to spread. Now, when it comes to people with different views, we, before we spoke about the paleo and even low carb, and if there are people out there who are genuinely curious, and if they say, well, Ian, hold on a second. I thought, you know, what about paleo? I will give them my reasons and I will be patient with them. If people are just trying to be trolls, then I'm I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna waste my time with them. But if people are genuinely curious, they want to get healthier, they want to learn about this stuff, I will answer the question all day, every day of where do you get your protein from? I'll do it. If people are patient with me and if they genuinely want to know. Now, here's I'll give you a little insight, Howard, into the evolution of my podcast. Here's the direction that I want to go in. I would like to host, call them debates, with Dr. X and Dr. Y because I feel that those are productive ways to have a civil discussion that, that is l quite honestly lacking in this world, civil discussions, civil debates, 
on topics. And in this case, health and nutrition. I find them very interesting. And I think that it's a way for people to learn both sides of a topic and make up their own minds. Now, would I like for them to make up their own mind? Would I like for them to go plant-based? Sure. But I feel that the evidence, like you said, the evidence is so strong and is so pointed in the, 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 this singular direction of this is the healthiest thing you can do that once these debates are over, if I choose my guests carefully, that the, the person watching or the person listening will think, well, that's a no-brainer. That, that's the hope. But again, am I going to change everyone's mind? No. Um, but uh, I, don't think that's, I, I don't think that's the point of changing everyone's mind. You're not going to please everyone. But um, I think to, to dispel rumors and to dispel and answer questions about different lifestyles out there, I think that's certainly a direction I'd like to go in. Wow, <clears throat> that's amazing. And I'm thinking about like, what sort of person it takes to, to host that um, in terms of, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen, you know, the, the doctor's TV show, these, scream, these screaming debates or, or the sort of hatchet yeah. jobs that, that, that are done. You know, they'll bring Colin Campbell on and then, you know, a bunch of people will, uh, right. will take shots at him. So for, you know, for you to be an honest broker of that, but also to find, like, it would be amazing to find people on both sides who are not interested in having a debate, but who are interested in learning from each other. Right. I agree. I think that's a great way of putting it. And, 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 and then, you know, I, I did watch the clips from the recent um, Dr. Garth Davis was on The Doctors. Watched, I think you're referring, I believe you're referring to the T-Con Campbell where he basically got thrown under the bus, him and Dr. Esselstyn in the Horizons BBC thing where... Right. I want to bring people, let's say Colin Campbell and that, uh, that PhD doctor from Oxford. I want to bring them on at the same time. That way they can address each other in real time because any documentary has an agenda. And I feel that's a little bit disingenuous. It's, it's not in real time. I want to have these discussions in real time for person A to make a claim and for person B to make a claim and for them to uh, make counterclaims and rebuttals. I feel like that's the most genuine way of progressing um, public discourse. Wow. Well, I would, uh, I would support that. Do you have, do you have a, your first two, uh, Cage match uh, participants in mind? Not yet. Not yet. You know, I, I want to finish out the 2017 year with just monologues or just, just interviews with singular guests. I'm also, if I can turn people on to this via your podcast, I'm also, I, I will, I'll answer your question. Yes, I, I do have someone in mind for my first guest. And he's actually a doctor who I've had on for a series I'm doing on my Facebook page, my plant-based cyclist Facebook page called Ask the Doc. And they are Facebook live sessions where I am split screen with this particular doctor and myself. And people can watch live. They can ask their questions, their health, well-being, 
uh, diet and lifestyle related questions in real time and get answers from this physician in real time, this physician who practices lifestyle medicine. The first one I have in mind is his name is Dr. James Benny. He lives in Redding, California, and he's episode, I think, five or six of, of my podcast. But um, he trained under for, for a period of time under Dr. John McDougall, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of him and his – he's got an edge to him, for, for, to, to put it lightly. So Dr. Benny knows his stuff, and he definitely has a little edge, but he's also very supportive and offers great questions. So I'd love to have him on as, as the one side of this, um, this debate. The hardest part, though, is finding someone on the other side who is willing to – I'd metaphorically go into a cage match with this other person and just have a, a, a civil discussion because I'm not within that lifestyle and paleo, low carb, what, what have you, it's, it's going to be much harder for me to find those people. But I'm, I'm hopeful that if I put my nose to the grindstone, I'll be able to find guests on the other side. Wow. Well, I would, I would watch that. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. And I think a lot of other people would for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I think I'm, uh, I'm out of questions. That sounds like a, uh, a great plan. I want to let you get back to putting your nose to the grindstone and putting that, putting that together. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm just curious how you, how you find your guests and choose your guests. And like, is it just like stuff hits your Facebook feed and you go, oh, that's cool. Or do you have like a, a hit list of people you, you want on? I do have a hit list. It's on a Google Doc. It's in a Google Excel spreadsheet that I keep all of my all of my guests on. But really, it works just like you said. Is is if a doctor pops up in my newsfeed, and and they there's a claim, and I think, well, that's interesting. I'll jot them down on the list, and then I'll save them for a little bit later. Like for example, the most recent episode, twenty seven, Doctor Anthony Lim. He popped up on my newsfeed a couple months ago from a movie that was made by, I believe it was um, Plant Based News. It's a YouTube channel where he said, he said, I was previously paleo and now I prescribe plant based. I said, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of this guy. I got to get him on the podcast. So it works that way. And I think it also works with just getting the heavy hitters, you know, the, the, the titans of this movement, the Esselstyns and uh, the Barnards and the Garth Davises, I think getting them on the podcast is a no-brainer, but it's a little bit, you know, the, the Michael Greggers, it's a little bit harder because they're very busy, but um, I want to try to bring from from the the depths, I want to try to bring these these doctors who may, may not be known as well as the Esselstyns and the McDougals to the surface and say, these people have a lot of good things to say, um, and a lot of uh, different ways of relating and, and applying this evidence to people's lives. And I want to give them the stage and, and, and publish their, uh, their podcasts. Great. And I appreciate it because now I can just like, go to your podcast and find my next guest. There you go. Hey, that's okay. And, and I think the, 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 the key is that we're, we're on the same team and we're trying to spread this message to a larger and larger, larger audience, which I think is a great this kind of cross-pollination, it's, it's the right thing to do. And, and we're on the same team, Howard. I appreciate your time. Sure thing. One, one last thing. You got I it. noticed you, you have a Patreon page to support the podcast. I'm, I do. I'm doing the same thing. Um, it's really hard for me to 
to make the argument that people should contribute to it just because not because I don't think they should, but because just, you know, personality. Yeah, I hear and, you. And not wanting to do that. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, what's what's your best pitch for getting people to support podcasts that they can listen to for free? Uh, that's a good, that's a really, that's a really good point. And I think it's simply if they find value in the content that you or I are providing, then consider contributing because the other thing too, is as I give people reasons, if they say, well, why, what are you going to use the money for? Let me answer that question. You know, what do we use the money for updating equipment? Uh, uh, giving the person more content ultimately. And I put this bl very black and white on my Patreon is once we reach this Patreon goal, I will, you, the, the patron will enable me to go part time and use Patreon as a significant source of income to, to do what I love doing more often and to provide you with more podcasts, more YouTube movies, more content. And, and I think any way you cut the cake, Howard, it's, it's always a tough sell. The other way I, I look at it too is consider these podcasts and your contribution as a, as a magazine subscription or, or a newspaper subscription where it's just a dollar or two goes a long way. And I think if we, Think of the thousands and thousands of people who are listening to our podcast. If they all pitched in and contributed, we would be able to do this a lot more often. But I think um, that's a tough question, and it, there's there's no like one there's no best answer. So that's I, what I'm continually trying to uh, figure out as well. All right. Well, when you when you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> okay, I will. Once, once you've reached your goal. <laughs> Okay, I will. I'll, I'll take the uh, the spillover. I will. Because, I mean, one, one of the things I think about is like a lot of podcasts and a lot of Patreon, things are about exclusive content. Right. And I have a lot of trouble with that because I feel like if you really love my podcast, what you're paying for is the fact that I don't charge anybody for it. Right. That you're, you're helping this get this out into the world so that so that uh, you know, and I don't have any advertising. I don't do sponsorships. I don't you know Squarespace or Slack or Harry's Razors. None of that makes right. it on. Right. Which I you know I'm not judging anyone who does. It's just not my model. Um, but for people who think, oh, this is a good thing in the world, um, you know, it's easier for me to say, well, if you if you support it, I'll give you extra free stuff that's exclusive. And I, I do one little thing like that, where I make, um, you know, three times a month, I'll have a, a healthy habit huddle yep. that is available to my, just to my clients and to students and to people who support the podcast for a dollar a month or more. Um, but partly, you know, I just, I love the idea that you're supporting something that other people who, who aren't into the movement yet would never support, but they can still benefit from. And as you said, you know, kind of get dripped on over time and gradually make that transition. Exactly. And I think too, the big thing is the number one thing is just growing our audience. And I I've heard that you can pretty much count on something like 1% of your audience of your listener base or YouTube base is going to contribute one, one to 2%. So that's what I'm going off of and growing. So growing the audience is huge, but, um, 
yeah, you said something that I wanted to touch on, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I personally, you're right. I mean, so I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to putting sponsors in my podcast if they're products that I agree with, if they're, if they're business models and products, like I'm not going to be hawking pills or prescriptions or powders, um, because that's not what I stand for. So I, I, and, and plus I think another downfall of us promoting this message in general is that the, is that we say the whole, the whole medical model, there's no money in this. How do you make money in a medical model? Like James Benny said, if I give you a high blood pressure medication, I can have you, I can see you back in my office every, uh, every three months for the rest of your life. But if I give you the information of adopting a whole foods plant-based lifestyle and you lower your, you reduce your medication to zero, I may never see you again. So there's, there's, there, if you're doing it the right way, like you and I are, if you're selling pills or powders, you're disingenuous. I, I don't care how else you put it. I would be willing to get in, into the into the ring, like we spoke about before, with anyone who disagrees with me on that. If you are providing, if you are promoting this lifestyle and selling a pill or powder, you're being disingenuous. So it's so it's how else are there other revenue streams that we can that we can utilize? Yes, there are. It's Patreon is one, and it's and it's basically saying. You, the the listener, are donating out of the goodness of your heart. You're part of a bigger movement, a broader movement to, and, and, you know, we're not asking you to break the bank here. If you enjoy and you find value in our conversations, donate. If you don't, if it's not in the cards yet, if you haven't listened to enough yet, fine. There's no pressure. So it's, it's, it's a tough situation. I agree, Howard. But when you talk about, you know, not being beholden to advertisers, like, I think about that a lot when I have guests on whom I know are going to be controversial, even in the plant-based movement. So when I have Pam Popper on, or I've had several people in the, you know, experts in psychiatry talking about how psychiatric drugs are a, a giant racket. And I know I'm going to get blowback from that. And I think, you know what? There's nobody who can fire me. Right. Like, it would take all of my listeners to fire me. And then right. I would still just, I would just do it for myself and John Robbins. Yep, yep. So I think I think in that case, transparency is important, and being honest is trans is important, and just doing your thing and marching to the beat of your own drum. And like I said before, you can't please everyone, but maybe you having on those controversial guests will now open up your podcast to a different, a slightly different audience. And some people are going to leave your podcast, and other people's are other people are going to hop on. So. Our podcasting is always a constant evolution, especially if it's an interview-based podcast. And and I think that's you got to do what you got to do, Howard. I mean, you march to the beat of your own drum. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way to end. It was great talking shop with you at the end. I don't know if anybody else cares about this stuff, but when I get another podcaster, I don't care. I wanna, that's okay. I hear, oh, I hear do. your thoughts and how you do it. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. So Ian Kramer of Ian Kramer Podcast, thank you so much for the work you do. I hope everyone goes and checks you out on your, your website is what, iankramerpodcast.com? I'm sorry. No, it's, it's going to be plant-basedcyclist.com. All oh, right. Plant, you can just Google it. You can also Google the Ian Kramer Podcast, and that should bring you to my website. But my website has every, all the ways to contact me, all my social media 
as well as helpful links to find my podcast. You can also find it on the iTunes store, but uh, plant-based cyclist is the way you find me. Okay, and I'll put that in the show notes so folks don't have to remember the hyphen. Great, great. Thank you so much, Howard. Thank you, Ian. It's been great talking to you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Check out plantyourself.com slash review for a short video tutorial on how to do this. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 247. And for more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh Lozani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. If you have ever wanted to get healthy and fit, even if you've tried before and failed, hell, especially if you've tried before and failed, check it out, bigchangeprogram.com. We're reopening it for the new year. It's going to open up on January 11th, 2018, and it starts, the program itself starts on January 22nd. So we're going to have an 11-day window for people to get into it. And space is limited. Um, because we want to take care of every single person, not just scale it to this massive thing where you're just, uh, you know, one bit of digital blips and a giant online course. Uh, We get to know you. You interact with us on a weekly basis. Um, And Josh, my partner, is now famous. He's been featured not only on the December cover of Runner's World magazine, December 2016, but again in the magazine as one of the co-founders of the Missing Chins Run Club And then on Good Morning America, and uh, starting next week, a certain other national TV show that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. So I'm expecting a lot of interest in signups now that this message is is going uh, national on the media in a big way. All right, so if you're new to this show, you can catch up on 246 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And you get the podcast, but not my newsletter, The Big Change Bulldog. You can sign up and also get the Cheat Day Blues Report at plantyourself.com slash cheat day. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write that iTunes review. Speaking of which, I got a new one this week called Great Podcast by Benfica Eagle from Spain. And Benfica says, Howard Jacobson almost always has great guests, mostly from the plant-based world, and is quite inquisitive and skeptical regardless of whom he is interviewing. Highly recommended if you enjoy your podcast to be evidence-based. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, the more people who subscribe and who listen and who leave reviews, the more I can attract other great podcast guests who uh, put a premium on their time and are looking for podcasts with a certain listenership before they'll consider making an appearance. Garden News is mostly about dead beehives and uh, wilting kale, so not much to report there. Running News, I've either badly sprained, jammed, or broken the uh, fourth toe of my right foot, so I haven't been doing a lot of running. I have been working out with the F3 crowd early in the morning, 545, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so hopefully I'm not getting too badly out of shape, and I'm hoping to be able to do a trail run of, I don't know, 15 to 20 miles this weekend, but we shall see. Thanks to Will Ridenauer, musician extraordinaire, for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. Check out willridenauer.com for more of his beautiful Cora music. And, of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Let's see if I can do it in a reasonable number of breaths. 
Kim Harrison, Linda McClellan, Anthony Dyson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara, Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Goodman, Amanda Hadley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennedy, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barron, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Vilkanovsky, David Isaac, the mysterious Michelle X. Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolman, all the Leia Starlet, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julian Rowland, Stone Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ryan Circuit, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Fronzik, Jeanette Benham, Gail Lesser, David Don, Hugh Blair, Cyber, Doron Aviso, Carrie Gio, and Carolyn Artistati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg. <laughs> Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindemann, Rise with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmesmith, Barb Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovac, Adam Sharp, Heron Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, and Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Sharon Hirschman, Kate Rose, Linda Ayad, Julie Lang, Holm, Hedegaard, Isa Tuzin, Wa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Olivia, Viva, Yatla, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, and Karen Smith. Aviva, you got me this time. For all of your generous support of the podcast, that's it for this week. That's it for this month. That's it for 2017. Here's looking forward to a happy and healthy and committed and compassionate year in 2018. Be well, my friends. <laughs>